Hi everyone, welcome or welcome back to the United Citizens of Europe podcast. This is Luca and today we're gonna talk about what's going on in the United States and the future of EU and US relations. We're gonna talk about this issue with two people, Katarina Zangel and Ariana Babrai. Hi Ariana, how are you doing? I'm doing well, how are you Luca? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Ariana, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Ariana. I studied international relations at the University of Southern California, and I currently work in international democracy development in Washington, D.C. Oh, that's, uh, that's very interesting. A very important for today's topic, actually. Absolutely. You are from the United States, and you are right now in the United States. And I wanted to ask you, like, what is going on in the United States right now? <laughs> well, I'm sure that you already know the basics <laughs> of what's going on. Um, this week has been very chaotic, very strange, and very, I would say, un-American for what we're used to, though it's not something that would be unforeseen. As you already know, on Wednesday... Um, you know, how we're categorizing these people is is still up for debate. Some people are categorizing them as domestic terrorists. Some people want to refrain and call them protesters. But basically, a group of, let's say, rioters stormed the Capitol and were able to break through various police brigades and enter into the Capitol and destroy the property of the government and walk away with little to no consequences, which is concerning on a number of levels and the political fallout is still in process. We've seen a lot of Trump administration officials resign in the last few weeks of their posts and uh, many people are calling for Congress to take steps such as invoking the 25th Amendment which will take the involvement of Mike Pence um, and of course everyone, well not everyone, but a lot of people are outraged with the situation and how it's been handled, especially by the Capitol Police and other officials. There, there has been anti-Biden sentiment, but in general, there has been a, a sentiment of these elections being rigged. Or um, ever since, uh, even before actually starting the elections, uh, Trump was saying that uh, there might be there, something might happen and he might not win, and you know that will be because everyone is going against him. Right, um, and this kind of sentiment then it means that you know it's been growing in the in the past, and now it kind of led up to to this. How is the situation in the United States? Like, how how is it possible that you know from small tweets and discourses we arrive to looting Capitol Hill? Yeah, I think that's the question on everyone's mind. How did we get here? But I think that um, this kind of even started already before the 2016 elections, right? This is kind of how Trump was able to mobilize a very extreme faction of the right wing um, by saying that there were, you know, fraudulent elections and everything is rigged. And especially the argument that, for example, illegal immigrants are voting multiple times for dead people, just like outrageous claims that have no base, but have a base within the far right, which more and more we can see basically functions on an entirely different platform and reality than the mainstream. And so 
for them, it's it's kind of like people who believe in in the flat earth theory that you're able to just completely, you know, reprove your own point by using information that no one else actually really believes in. So for them, when you say things like, yeah, here's proof that illegal immigrants are coming in and and stealing things from us, like our votes and voting multiple times or Democrats are voting for dead people. It's just like an echo chamber that it just keeps repeating until it kind of becomes true for them. Um, And that's true for other messages too. Like there's, you know, rumors that Antifa is the ones running, you know, the actual looting and that's just absurd and baseless. But I think to go back to your initial question, um, this has been building up for years and we've seen the rise of increasingly more and more fake news sources. And it's just been, you know, continuously echoed and then picked up also by Fox News. And I think that you can't underestimate the role of Fox News in all of this, which is the most mainstream source that has been reiterated. And a lot of people have Fox News to start their own, you know, channels that re-spouted out all of these theories that are baseless. And I think when you have enough people saying it, then you start to, certain people start to believe it. Um, And yeah, when you have the president of the United States standing up on a podium right before the confirmation of the president-elect saying, we need to walk together to Capitol Hill and stop this, and you have so many people already mobilized, then what do you expect is going to happen? Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's go back to the rioters or domestic terrorists or however we want to call them. Now there's this rumor that uh, they were undercover Antifa's. Yeah. When actually, like, you know, the, the thing is that it's it's kind of crazy to me because, like, we can, you know, we saw their faces mm-hmm. and people already recognize them as leaders of some uh, far right groups. So how can they still continue to foster this kind of belief? Because, like, for example, in Italy, they there were some, some people, again, that believed this kind of uh, fake news that started sharing some images mm-hmm. of these people saying oh no but they were also like at some black lives matter movement so like um protests so like it means that you know they're from um they're part of that movement that just went there to um to have a riot or whatever yeah when it's actually you know they were probably at the black lives matter movement to be a counter movement like yeah. a counter protest, and that right. but then again like abroad uh the um, uh trump supporters abroad in my case i will say i will talk about italy they now believe this uh, they now believe this um this fake news because here mm-hmm. now it's, it's kind of like accept as truth that you know these people are actually antifas and how do you right. tell these people that don't speak english that you know it's not true i mean i'm my best theory at this point too because i'm just as confused as you uh is that it's an echo chamber right so if you keep saying it over and over i mean these people are already not checking their facts correctly and not they don't believe inherently do not believe in mainstream sources right so if the new york times says it they automatically say well that's fake news and the media is the enemy and they're trying to deter us so why would they listen to anything that they say because the new york times put out yesterday i think it was that they can prove that the antifa claims are baseless that there's actually no proof that antifa is to blame in fact they've already figured out 
that there were like Facebook groups planning this for months, right? I mean, you saw the images that people had printed on their shirt, like Civil War 2021. This is a very clearly planned event by the far right. And there's no way around that except to just make up lies. And I've seen the argument swing because I did watch Fox News a little bit while this was happening out of curiosity to see like, what is the rhetoric that we're putting out, right? It was just swinging so much from at first there was like so much shock and then it was like, wow, these people are terrible to, oh, this can't possibly be these patriots. They're patriots. They love our country. This has to be someone evil like Antifa. And, that you know, it just it's like a spiral that makes no sense at all. You're swinging back and forth. And so these claims are baseless. That's the bottom of it. But. I think that when you are already so deep into a lie, then you just have to keep making things up to to keep it going. And I think that a lot of people just fall for it because they're only trusting, in my opinion, unreliable news sources. So it's very Another, <laughs> yeah. Another faceless uh, claim is also, uh, as far as we know, um, is also the uh, election fraud. One of the things that Trump is, at least was saying, was that mail-in ballots were mainly for Biden and that's how they got the elections because yeah. those were rigged. But how can how can that be true if Trump actually told his voters not to vote by mail? He incited them not to not to vote by mail. So like, yeah, I mean, the psychology of Trump is a mystery to everyone. But what I can say is that leading up to that, there was also the situation where he basically went on, you know, Twitter and on TV and claimed that USPS was somehow corrupt and you couldn't trust it, even though Americans use USPS for everything from mailing important documents to packages to anything like, you know, things that you need from the DMV to get your license renewed, you send through USPS. Like this is a, this is our national mail source. And he just completely tried to like make it seem fraudulent. Like somehow USPS was going to, you know, steal your ballot and change it to be for Biden or something like that. He just started putting these claims out there that, you know, you can't trust the post office. So you have to go vote in person. And that automatically sent like a huge spiral. And I think that it almost was like created like a chaotic situation that made people believe, well, if Trump says that I can't trust it, then I can't trust it. And this, the amount of votes that came for Biden just proves that I can't trust it because look how, you know, different the vote is. But if, like you said, if he said, don't vote by mail, and you're a, a hardcore Trump supporter, then you're not going to vote by mail because you listen to him. And yeah, it's it's like a again, it's an echo chamber that you he's just creating like a, a separate universe, separate reality that people are functioning in. And it's really scary because it's like you can't even converse with those people because they just are living in such a different set of values and norms that he can't like he can't justify it, but he can to them does that mm -hmm. make sense <laughs> yeah i get i understand what you're, what you're saying <laughs> another thing that has been going around was that uh, people were comparing how 
I'm going back to um, what happened a few days ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, people are comparing what what happened to to Capitol Hill to the mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you th- say that they would comp- they they can be compared or? I mean, I think you can compare the outcome as far as the police reaction, right? I mean, there's a very clear contrast between the way that the domestic terrorists or the rioters, whatever you want to call them, were treated versus the protesters at the peaceful movements for Black Lives Matter, which if you look statistically, I think it's about 90% of BLM protests are completely peaceful with zero acts of violence. Of course, that's not portrayed in the right-wing media. But um, this incident, which was inherently violent, even without actually destroying anything, you're walking onto Capitol Hill and taking over the entire building. Like, that's inherently violent, in my opinion. But beyond that, there were people carrying weapons and destroying things, breaking windows. And, you know, uh, it was really shocking to see police officers, one, let seemingly let people in to the building with very little resistance. And then when they were in the building, there were police officers like taking selfies and chatting with these people, helping them exit without doing anything to them. It was like, if you watch the images, these people are just walking around like it's a normal tour through the Capitol Hill building. Like they just walked right in there. And then you see these Black Lives Matter and other protests. I mean, you could even talk about other groups of color, for example, like we had Native American groups that were protesting illegal pipelines on their lands and they were met with horrible violence and Black Lives Matter movements were met with horrible police violence and people of color die in our country every day for doing absolutely nothing, just walking on the street. So to me, I feel like you can compare the reaction, but you can't compare the movement, right? BLM stands for the rights of Black people in our country. Like that is really different to me than protesting against a free and fair election that is inherently a very important part of our democracy. Whereas Black, the people who protest in the Black Lives Matter movements are protesting against something that's very undemocratic, which is the exclusion and persecution of, of people of color. And so I can't compare the two protests, but I can compare the two reactions of police. And that's really sad, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's let's end with a lighter note. What do you think the the new EU US relation is going to be with um, with Biden as president? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's one thing I can say I'm optimistic about. Um, I think that a lot of world leaders are excited for the transition of power in the United States because the past four years have been absolutely chaotic, especially in terms of, you know, international relations and important multilateral agreements that we've reached over the years that were then just thrown in the trash can. Um, Hopefully we can reinvigorate our relations with our allies and kind of set, re kind of balance our relations internationally. As far as Europe, um, the only situation in Europe that I would be kind of concerned about is how this will affect countries which are moving in a, a liberal 
direction, for example, Poland and Hungary. Um, I haven't seen the, the Polish or Hungarian government come out explicitly against anything that's happening, whereas I've seen a lot of Western Europe and other countries within the European Union come out and say, what happened on Wednesday was horrific. This is not something that we condone and we are looking forward to the next administration. So I think as far as like EU-US relations, I see growth and positivity and hopefully a restoration of where we were and a continuation of our relationship. I worry within the EU about individual countries, but at the same time, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily the biggest threat at this point too. Thank you very much for, for this interview. It was very, very nice. Yes. Hopefully we'll have some more positive topics this year. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hi, Katrina. How are you? Hey, hi. I'm fine. Um, the new year started and I kind of went in with it, let's say, with great hopes um, for it to be better than the last. How are you doing, Luca? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm also trying to see more positively this new year and with more hope. <laughs> okay, so uh, Katarina, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, so my name is Katarina Zangal. I'm from Austria. I, am, uh, I have studied political science in Austria, in Belgium, in England. And oh. I'm now working in the Innovation in Politics Institute. Oh, that's that's so cool. Um, so you are a great fit for for this episode. <laughs> so let's let's start talking about like the current current situation of the United States, like the transition between the presidencies uh, from Trump to to Biden is not the easiest. On January 6th, there was an attempted coup by the right wing mobs and Trump kind of fueled a little bit of rage by saying that the election was rigged and let's say like really fueling the sentiment against Biden and the whole election system in general. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. I want to say that I think it's it's super interesting because actually in the US you have a rather, I would say, strict um, and quite fixed system when it comes to transition of powers. So usually you have also with dates, huh? if you, when you do the elections in the U.S., it's always the second Tuesday or the, the, the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November and the inauguration of the president is always the 20th of January and so forth. Mm -hmm. So you really have a clear power, like a clear period of time when power gets transferred to another administration. Um, and this is usually also between November and January is the time of orderly um, transfer of power in the US. Now, obviously, this is different in the Trump era, as so many things are different, um, because even before the election was held, and I think this is important to know, even before the election was held in November, Trump already started saying that it might be rigged, that it will be unfair, that it will not be correct. Yeah. And so I think it's also it was also a famous part of his debate performance, if you remember the one with Joe Biden. Yeah. So um, yeah. So also prior to the election, he already declared that it, he thinks it will be, it will not be fair. And um, now the election were held, and as as far as we know, there is no evidence whatsoever that they were not fair and that they were not correct. But um, unimpressed by these facts, uh, Trump and also Republicans, famous Republicans. Um, continue to say that, they, that the election was stolen. That's how they 
that's the phrase they use a lot. Yeah, yes, exactly. And and to be honest, the the, the let's say the worst thing uh, is that earlier that day I was scrolling through Twitter and I noticed uh, some trending hashtags fostering the the elections being rigged or stolen, and uh, one of the Fake news was actually saying that Italy was to blame for rigging the election. To be honest, I'm quite honored that you know they considered my country as being able to do that. But how much do you think like this kind of fake news can influence people to commit such things? Because again, like they basically raided the uh, raided Capitol Hill. They invaded an and like an important institution. Yeah, but I think it's not trending hashtags that made people. Do that. I think it really comes from the idea of, well, prior to the election, even saying it was unfair, continuing to say so. And also, and I would really like to point that out because I think it's it's rather interesting because during the election, you had the, you had a larger degree than ever of mail ballots. So people sending their votes by post. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and traditionally, we can, we can estimate that most of the people who sent their uh, votes by mail were people supporting Joe Biden because those were people um, more um, attached to the measures of, of uh, preventing the pandemic and preventing the spread of the coronavirus. So these were people not walking into the polling station. And uh, the polls that have been counted, the elections counted prior, were the ones from the people in the polling stations. So yeah. earlier at the election night, you had the you had the, the election result being more towards Trump. And as the, the election counting went on, which we know it was more than a week or something, um, Biden gained in gained in votes. So this made his supporters suspicious. It's a very easily explainable, but it made supporters of him very suspicious. Now, if you count together that people were incited prior to the election, that the election looked suspicious to supporters because of the turning of the result, um, and and I think that also um, news outlets, some of them helped in spreading this idea. This made people very, very angry. And uh, I think the result of these people becoming very, very angry um, is what we've seen on January 6th. I think it's not hashtags like that that made the people go there. I think it's a combination of a variety of factors that made people become so angry that they would actually uh, yeah, storm their very own democratic institutions and, and disregard their very own democratic electoral process. Uh, it's impossible that you know everything exploded because of some uh, last minute fake news. Uh, because of course, like all of this was something what was um, hemmed up every, um, basically every other day, if not like every day since the beginning of the Trump presidency. He was saying that you know, again, everyone was against him and everyone was planning for him to fail. And one of the things that is also that he, because you're saying that the mail-in ballots were mainly for Joe Biden because they wanted to avoid spreading Corona. But it's also because Trump explicitly said to his voters not to vote by mail. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, and it's also, that's also crazy that, you know, then he complained that, you know, mail, uh, that mail-in ballots were not they were not as much for him as they were for Biden. Because, I mean, it's kind of obvious if you also told your voters not to vote by mail. They're not going to do so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So another fake news that was going around is also that the terrorists that invaded Capitol Hill are undercover Antifa. Even though most of them 
have already been recognized as leaders of uh, QAnon groups or just uh, far-right wing groups. Why do you think people cannot accept that this is a result of polarization and a bad administration of the country? Yeah. Also provoked by, you know, their uh, their own president or former president now, Trump. Yeah, I, I think it's super funny because um, in Austria yesterday in the evening, we saw that there's this super famous guy who was dressed like a Viking or something. You yeah. remember him? Yeah. He's in all the photos. Um, and he's uh, he has actually been interviewed by an Austrian uh, news channel a few weeks ago uh, as a famous Trump supporter. So we already know this guy in Austrian TV because he, he gave this super crazy interview. Um, and now he's even more famous. Anyhow, um, I, I believe, first and foremost, I, I think that there's a variety of groups and communities and different kinds of identities that have been part of this. A terrorist attack, if you want to call it like that, um, on the Capitol here yeah, um, on, on January 6th. But I believe what all of them have in common is that they're Trump supporters. And now Antifa mm -hmm. is for sure not a Trump supporting kind of uh, community or organization. Um, Trump actually picked out Antifa not the first time to blame for something. He used them many times already. I think they're an easy target for him because they are not a formalized organization. So there is no press officer of Antifa who could stand against accusations. <laughs> it's very easy to just to just name a random community and say they're to blame for it. They cannot defend themselves. And the second part of your uh, question, I would like to, to really say, because you say that people cannot accept, I think that the majority of people in and outside of the US understand very clearly that this is that this uh, terrorist attack and this storm at the Capitol is the result of bad administration, is the result of uh, depolarized uh, society. I believe that the majority of people really understand that this is not um, this is not um, some kind of um, okay thing to do. But and also, I really think that this is what we've seen on January sixth is not American society. It's a part of American society that we've seen, but definitely not the American society. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you think this uh, something like this could happen in any EU country? Well, I think that's a really good question. Um, uh, let me answer it like this. I think what we are seeing in the US is basically the result of a populist in power with a very high degree of popularity amongst his supporters and an extreme, let's say, talent to make people blindly and loyally follow him, regardless of whatever crazy things he says and does. And um, I believe that, at least right now, I don't see, and I hope I'm really right, uh, I don't see a in the EU that has let's say, that this interest in destroying their very own democratic institutions and this, let's say, populist ambitions to ignite any coup d'etat of that sort. That doesn't mean that polarization, conspiracy theories or right-wing populism isn't a danger in EU countries. It definitely is. But I don't, right now, I don't see anyone in power in any of the EU states where I would think he or she has the, let's say, interest or ambition to do something like that. What we do have um, in EU countries, as we can clearly see, um, um, democracy is definitely in decline in countries such as Hungary and, and Poland, where, where we have really problematic anti-democratic um, activities going on, also started and pushed forward by governments. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we see countries where right-wing populists were in government and used their time in power for polarizing messages. I believe Austria and Italy are among those. But yeah. I don't, I don't, right now, I don't see an European Trump, which could change any minute. Huh? We, we also didn't, nobody saw Trump coming in 2015. And in 2016, he was everywhere. So, yeah. But currently, I don't see. Do you, do you think there is someone in the EU that would be? To be honest, kind of like Trump, I, I don't know. Because, um, of course, we know of Orban and Duda with Kaczynski. But I don't know. Like, I don't know if there is, like, someone like Trump. <laughs> in my case, like, uh, being Italian, I would, I would think of Salvini. But l luckily, he's losing some power. But still, like, he is still very popular. And... And very populist as well. So I don't know. I, I really don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Again, it's something that you cannot really foresee, I guess. Kind of like Trump, you know? Yeah. And also, I think, I don't know if you allow me to make a Game of Thrones reference here, but I think it's it's, it's interesting to see, to see Trump clinging onto power so much that he's actually willing to burn everything down. I mean, it really reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen it or any of the listeners have seen it, but it really reminds me of Cersei being like, before I leave this, my kingdom, I want it to all be burned down rather than that. And I think really this is what Trump is doing at the moment. A lot of people are comparing the Black Lives Matter uh, protests to the raid in Capitol Hill. Would you agree with it? Do you think they are comparable? No, I really, I don't, I don't think a lot of people are comparing it and I really don't see how they are in any way comparable. Um, I'm really not creative enough to find similarities, I think, because, well, Black Lives Matter is a social movement. Um, actually, it's much older than what we what we know. We think mm -hmm. that it has become very famous last year in May because of uh, the murder of George Floyd, but it's actually, the slogan is around, I don't know, eight, nine years old or something like that. Um, and it's yeah. against police brutality, um, more or less. And the discourse of Black Lives Matter um, let's say, comes up every time another very famous um, a case of police brutality um, becomes nationwide attention in the US. So it's, it's actually Black Lives Matter is a social movement against racially motivated violence. Now, the whole Trump supporters mob attacking the Capitol kind of uh, group, community, whatever you want to, to refer to, um, it has a totally different origin and it has a completely different purpose. And I think it can... Mm, I think it can be more compared to kind of a fandom, kind of a groupies uh, of mm -hmm. a celebrity with completely blind loyalty to this personality rather than a political movement, which, which might be a very, let's say, um, difficult statement to say that the Trump supporters are not a political movement, but I think they have not really a vision and an idea for their society rather than they think Trump is right and I'm going to do whatever he says, which I don't think is per se a very political um, community. So I think also that um, this Trump supporter mob is rather different in their, in their way of like, there are some people in there who are really just fans of Trump. I mean, we, we should not forget that he has been a celebrity for, I don't know how many decades already. So very well known. So, I think there's a lot of fans of him as a person. There's definitely completely racist and anti-democrats and, and in the US term white supremacists part. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of conspiracy theorists in there that say people have, I don't know, there's this, there's this 
whole idea of there's a cellar where children are tortured kind of conspiracy theorists people so i think per se it is not a, a movement that has one idea and one issue they run against it's just a bunch of a lot of people that have different motives to be there but they are united in their support of trump i think mm-hmm. yeah they are uh, just united by supporting trump but in general like they they're all there are a lot of different groups but that's the thing like he he did give voice to these groups that otherwise would have been would have passed like unnoticed in uh in maybe with another another like republican president i think and i hope let's now talk about the eu us relations which um everything the whole relationship between the new continent and the old continent was very unstable and very tense most of the time and now we're going to have biden in a couple of weeks uh what do you think will happen well, that's a good and i think um we can clearly see that trump's foreign policy has just not focused much on the eu the eu us relations or transatlantic relationship as we call it um has suffered definitely under this presidency um there were super famous disagreements on policy issues like the climate paris climate accord with the with the withdrawal of the us under trump biden already said he's going to rejoin uh, this agreement um there has been a super large disagreement on iran policy the eu has been very active in in um establishing the iran deal and uh trump has completely disregarded this there have been trade issues and the us where trump many times went on conferences or press conferences or or kind of rallies where he uh talked how unfair trade practices between the EU and the US are um and yeah. so i think that biden will definitely uh try to have a better relationship with the EU also the difference i think can really be explained in the sense that uh the EU rather as an enemy or a competitor on world stage whereas biden who comes from a different government era huh? he comes from the obama era where uh, okay. obama always treated the eu an ally on world stage not a competitor not a not a not an enemy but an ally not an equal ally not a not an equal partner i would say but an important ally to please now and then and i think that biden will do that in his foreign policy and in his relations to the eu will try to have strong relations and interest in the eu as a player do you think now biden can actually treat the eu as um as an unequal ally because now they have a lot of uh things to make it up for But i don't know what you would mean with to make it up for i mean in the end you have um every foreign policy you can look at as having a core interest and mm-hmm. uh, most of the EU's core interests are more in the European neighborhood let's say um yeah the the, the region northern africa uh, sahel region um speaking the caucasus you have the western balkans which are complete core foreign policy interests and they are not so much us core foreign policy interests i think that If Biden is smart in his foreign policy, he will first focus on their nearest foreign foreign partner together with Canada and those relations have suffered tremendously under Trump. So, yeah. um I believe that when it comes to to core interests in foreign policy, the EU will be not left alone but more let's say more self-reliable 
um, under Biden than they were probably under Obama. Less left alone than they were under Trump. Yeah, one of the things that I was I was reading is that the actually thanks to Trump, the EU has had more um, like possibilities to to showcase its foreign uh, foreign policy as a one voice actor. And again, as you as we're saying, like also with the Iran deal, because uh, the EU had to step step up because the United States like didn't want to really continue the Obama's basically Obama's deal because that that's what was basically described as. And let's say also with the um, with the Paris Agreement, because now basically now with von der Leyen like really stepping up the uh, the Green Deal of the European Union is also showing again that uh, the EU is a one voice actor. Um, and uh, wants to, you know, become uh, an international player as well as, uh, again, as a... Yeah, if one aspect of foreign policy that, that Trump was driving was that other nations and other, like we are in the European Union, other organizations ha have become more confident in running their very own foreign policies, which is also completely actually against an interest that the U.S. has had basically since the Cold War. Because what... The yeah was incorporating other countries in their uh, in their sphere of influence so that they can speak like at the forefront but speak for many other countries when it comes to foreign policy now through trump dispersed and the eu is now definitely more confident but also still we should not forget that a foreign policy is a rather limited eu competence so yeah it is not, it's not the EU's core competence to speak for all the member states in foreign policy issues. They do in some ways, but not their most powerful, EU's most powerful competence. But anyhow, um, because of the disruption in the traditional relations between US and EU, uh, the EU kind of has had to come clean with the fact that they cannot and should completely rely on the US when it comes to foreign policy and defense policy. I think defense policy is very interesting when we speak about NATO, which is, well, not the EU, but it is a, a military alliance. And many EU countries have had their, uh, on NATO to do their defense policy. And because yeah. Trump has been rather, let's say, skeptical about NATO and 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 wasn't really sure why why the US is paying so much in order to sustain NATO as such. Um, also, the EU's defense policy got more elaborated and more discussed about than it was prior to Trump. That, that was also like another another good point that now there's more discussion around like a EU defense mechanism, which was always like put aside as a, um, as a topic. But now it's it has become like um, a main discussion because of Trump. And I, I really hope that we continue with this discussion and something can come out of it. I mean, you never know who's going to be next president of the United States. <laughs> so maybe after Biden, there's going to be Trump 2.0 or someone like him. So yeah. I want to conclude this this interview with personal question, which is as a European Austrian citizen, what else would you want to improve in the EU US relation? That's a beautiful question. Um, I think I think the future of the relations will also be very much dependent on or that we can call a post-pandemic relationship. I mean, we should not forget what an disruptive effect and impact on trade, on work, on societal issues. Um, I, I, I'm very curious to see what will happen also in a progressive... I mean, I don't know how progressive Biden will be. I mean, nobody expects much 
innovation in from the new from the new administration but um i believe that the pandemic will definitely be a push for that mm -hmm. it has definitely been the biggest push for socialism in the us ever <laughs> yeah if you now in the us they have the discussion about giving out 600 or 2000 dollars a month to people who have lost their jobs or who have lost businesses due to the pandemic which i think is a first in the us ever um also here in austria we have number of people who are now paid by the state is because everything changed in economic terms yeah i know in italy it's the same so i think it's going to be a post-pandemic relationship uh, i don't know what i would hope for i think i would really hope for a better understanding on how to bring society together and how to bring people together and how to find a common understanding of what do we all understand under democracy and what do we all understand under uh, patriotism in a non-violent form, how can we regain respect for traditional uh, separation of powers, which I think has suffered a lot. Um, yeah. so I think there's a lot of things that we can improve, and I hope we do so. Oh, that's very nice. A very nice conclusion. <laughs> Okay, so thank you very much for uh, for being available for this. It was very last minute, but again, I really didn't expect like such such a situation to happen in the United States. But I'm I'm really thankful that you were available for this interview. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed our episode. Um, make sure you follow us. You rate us five stars on Apple Podcast. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our Twitter. You can find us as United Citizens of Europe. See you next week.